Hi everyone and welcome back to this episode of the DeFi Angle. Today we have James and Josh from the DYDX Foundation with us. First, I'll ask you guys to introduce yourselves and let us know what you do at the DYDX Foundation. James? Yeah, thanks, Mariam. Yeah, thanks very much for, for having us both on this podcast. Really excited to have this conversation. Um, so I'm James. I'm from the DYDX Foundation. I'm the community ecosystem lead there. So I think we can kind of touch on what the DYDX Foundation is more broadly after. But generally, my role is very much community focused, dealing with the ecosystem, trying to incentivize players and partners to stick around the ecosystem and, and build on DYDX. So yeah, really excited to, to be a part of this podcast. Yeah, I just wanted to echo what James said. Thank you so much for having us, Miriam. Uh, my name is Josh, also at the DYDX Foundation. I am the governance lead. So essentially what that means is working with different community members, DAO contributors on getting proposals across the finish line on V3 of the DYDX protocol, as well as working on specking out what governance in V4 is going to look like also involves a ton of like partnerships, kind of engineering pipeline, building things out like that, making sure that the DAO is going to be in a position to take full control and ownership over the DYDX protocol. Yeah, I guess that's a short summary, yeah. That's great. I think it's interesting that you guys are specifically from the DYDX Foundation and we have two very important and strategic functions here, you know, for the app and the protocol in itself community and the DAO. Can you please just map out for us what is the DYDX Foundation as compared to the protocol and the, and the app itself? The DYDX Foundation is essentially kind of the non-for-profit foundation, which is the token issuing part of DYDX essentially. So the foundation was started in August 2021. It started with, I think, two employees. And then Josh was the third one that came on board, followed by me. And now we're a team of, of 12, which are fully remote based around the world internationally and have kind of different roles. We have like the leadership team, we have a go-to-market team, we have the governance team, and then we have kind of your, your normal kind of finance, legal, people ops and marketing now, which is really exciting. Um, so we are essentially responsible for the, the growth and adoption of the DYDX protocol. And that kind of has various roles there, but essentially legally very different to DYDX trading, who are obviously the protocol driving entity. And we are the entity which is very much driving growth and adoption of, of that protocol and really building out the ecosystem from like a growth and governance and DAO standpoint. I think that was a great overview. Uh, I would just say like in short, I think every time that people ask me this question, I, I would consider ourselves like in short, just like the steward of like the DYDX token and the DYDX protocol. Our mission is to democratize access to financial opportunity with the supporting vision of growing the DYDX protocol ecosystem by enabling communities, developers and decentralized governance. But I think that's like a pretty good overview of what the foundation does. Very interesting. I see the word growth came several times in your answers. Can you please elaborate on that specifically? Because given the context, I think, you know, this bear market has been brutal. We are now seeing a relief. But, you know, amidst all these events we've seen, I think there was something quite positive for DeFi there and for decentralized exchanges. 
how are you guys navigating this bear market and all the events that happened? I think it's evident just just taking a step back that TVL across like major protocols have been down for a while. But I think in general, there's been a, a general reduction in number of traders across the board, across any major centralized or decentralized exchange. I think the centralized exchange collapses and kind of like illegal practices of them has obviously contributed to that. And it hasn't been nice seeing kind of actors in the the ecosystem, which were once trusted in the space, abuse that power, especially the FTX drama. Obviously, you've had, you know, the Celsius 3AC Terra Luna saga, etc., which has really just generally, I think, reduced crypto population trust in institutions more broadly. I think what's been interesting is the kind of increase over the last few months in the use cases of trustless platforms like DYDX and other DEXs. I think where users have their kind of full access and full custody of funds, People have been slowly kind of navigating to these DEXs that's both transparent and accessible to, to users. And I think it DYDX from a kind of chart standpoint, right, that was published, I think, pretty transparently and publicly saw an uptick in users towards the end of 2022, which I think is definitely a consequence of, of everything that's happened. And not to shield kind of DYDX directly, but users do, I guess, have full control of their funds and can withdraw at any time. So I definitely think kind of the ethics of transparency and ownership has started to kind of shine through for some crypto users um, and the normal retail user, let's say, in the industry. Obviously, there's a long way to go. And, and you know, there's people don't anticipate this being adopted in the near term, but there's kind of definitely that initial roadmap of people are starting to realize that, that DEXs are important. I think linking that back to your, to your question about growth and how DYDX and the foundation have specifically navigated it, I think from a foundation standpoint, I think what, what is clear is there's the most number of builders, right, that have come in to this market at this time, regardless of sentiment. And what we found at the foundation level within the ecosystem, as well as our, our current grants program, is there's been significant number of builders wanting to come in and contribute value to the ecosystem. So I think in one hand, obviously, there's been these negative news and cycles behind that. And on the other hand, I think we're pretty well positioned as a foundation to, to really take advantage of this and encourage builders, encourage anyone who's willing to provide value and can provide value to the ecosystem or protocol more broadly to sort of play a role in that. And I think when we look at our community, where they're positioned on Commonwealth, whether they're positioned on Discord or whether that be traders or builders, what we have found is they've stuck around during this time. And I think being present as a foundation, answering questions, having these types of meetings, being forward facing has definitely lent a hand in that um, from a foundation standpoint. So it's been pretty exciting times for us over the last three to four months as a foundation. And I think this year as well, as we try and sort of grow the ecosystem even more internationally, I think we've definitely got the tools and the community have got the tools to continue to do so. Great. Josh, uh, from your perspective, maybe adding to what James says, since you are, you know, much more focused around governance, what did you notice in this bear market that makes it very important, specifically in, in terms of risk management or growth, as we were speaking about growth? For sure. I guess I'll, I'll just echo what James said. I think like the there's like three main headwinds right now in, across the industry, which are particularly, I think, exciting for 
people at DYDX Trading, DYDX Foundation, and across the DYDX ecosystem, and that's transparency, self-custody, and decentralization. I think we saw a number of issues with, per se, bad actors or some bad judgment across the ecosystem, not the DYDX ecosystem, but DeFi in general. I think when you look at the different component parts of what makes up the DYDX ecosystem, there's a strong focus on transparency. I think where I think growth and kind of market conditions kind of trickle inside the DYDX ecosystem was this desire for the community to have more information, to have regularly updated KPIs and to really understand what's going on inside of the DAO, which I think the grants sub-DAO and the ops sub-DAO have done a pretty good job so far of being very responsive to the community. I think other key players kind of in the DYDX ecosystem, specifically DYDX trading, still saw very reasonable growth in terms of active traders, more than 33,000 in 2022, as well as cumulative volumes over 450 billion. So I think overall, like very much a builder's market currently, but for the DYDX ecosystem, particularly, I think, like on the governance and DAO enablement side, it is nice in the sense that a lot of noise is out of the industry. We can focus on making sure the community has all of the tools and is ready to take full control of the DYDX protocol with the launch of V4. Absolutely. Speaking of grants, I'm curious, can you please elaborate on the functioning of the grant program and maybe give us some examples, you know, of some enablement uh, and projects have been uh, supported with a grant? So the grants program is currently, I would say, was the first sub-DAO inside of the DYDX ecosystem. Um, they came to the DYDX community almost a year ago with a proposal to start a grants program with the numbers escaping me right now, but a couple million in, in US notional to fund essentially grantees who are building in the DYDX ecosystem without a particular, I think there's like broad line budget items in terms of like international growth, funding, you know, different tooling, analytics, research, uh, but pretty broad mandate with the purpose of just increasing contributors to the DYDX ecosystem and driving value for the DYDX ecosystem. I think as of recently, there's been a lot of kind of feedback from the community to get more specific in terms of what the grants program is going to be funding and why and to nail down into those KPIs. But I think some of the biggest unlocks that I have seen from from my perspective has been DYDX vote, for example, I think was a was a very successful grant, which enabled voting by signature. So previously for all, you know, on-chain proposals, people would have to pay gas fees, which is in my mind, a huge barrier to governance participation. We had a grantee complete a successful grant to vote by signature, which essentially enables gasless voting for, for on-chain votes. So I think for me, that was probably one of the most important ones. I think you saw Great initiatives. Uh, James was involved quite closely with the ambassador program, which was very much, I think, a successful experiment in DAO working groups, which was grants funded, countless other research proposals, which I think had positive impact on the proposal from reducing emissions to increasing the efficiency of the distribution of DYDX each epoch. And creating massive savings for the DYDX community over 2022. 
I think just for the purposes of discussion, like there were three proposals in 2022 that were not specifically grants funded, but they, some of them started out with like grants research funding to keep, I think like large contributors involved in the ecosystem. And this led to an increase in the DYDX treasury of almost 11.2%, if not 11.2% specifically. So part of the initial allocation was 50 million DYDX to the community treasury. And that is now set over five years to increase to 160 million DYDX for the community to use to fund different initiatives to experiment and to drive growth over the DYDX protocol. So overall, I think Grants program has been quite successful in driving growth and we'll continue to see how they kind of iterate to, I think, answer some of the community's feedback points. James, I don't know if you wanted to add anything in there. Yeah, I mean, Josh is the font of all knowledge, everything grants program at the DYDX Foundation and obviously showcase that there. I think one other thing to say is from just a grassroots community level, what we have found is community members are in contact with the DYDX grants team regularly requesting their own proposals that they may want to come in and showcase that they can provide value for. Just to kind of briefly provide an example, we've had a DYDX Academy product manager kind of role that has been funded by the DYDX grants team that has already been embedded in the DYDX exchange and the DYDX foundation website. So it's just really exciting to see these impactful initiatives sort of play a role just broadly in the ecosystem and these projects aren't going to waste per se and focusing a lot more on education, community initiatives. As Josh touched on, there's been some incredibly impactful initiatives that have like materially affected the exchange and the ecosystem more broadly. And I think one thing we're always trying to discuss is like how do we keep these grantees within the ecosystem, make sure that they feel welcomed and and can we keep them engaged for the long term? And I think we've got a pretty healthy ecosystem currently and yeah, excited to, to see them play a role really over the next period of time. I think James brings up an excellent point in that the grants program is really a fantastic method to bring in new contributors and new builders to the DYDX ecosystem. And then get them involved in different aspects of the protocol, find out where they fit, and then eventually turn them into full-time DAO contributors, I think is is the goal. A lot of times, I think it's totally fine if people want to come in and, and build and do one or two grants. Maybe it's not for them, maybe it is for them, but I think, yeah, com- total value out in terms of trying to harness human capital as well as drive protocol growth. This is brilliant because not only you guys are preserving engagement in uh, DAO governance, you're also removing so many of these barriers that prevent people from participating. Specifically, I'm thinking about the gasless voting that you referenced, Just This is the type of initiatives coupled with education that you know makes a DAO live and be effectively engaged with these communities. This is amazing. And one question I would have, as of today, for you as in charge of governance and community in the DAO, what is your North Star strategy going forward, you know, uh, specifically in provision of the V4, to develop and keep the foundation at the forefront of this mission? What, what will be your North Star strategy and what are the KPIs that you're looking at closely? Yeah, I don't mind kicking off, Josh, if you want. I think broadly, the foundation kind of has a North Star as a team. And I think for that, it is really supporting mainnet V4 launch for the DYDX trading and the protocol team. And then to accelerate the DYDX DAO, 
And I think like everything collectively comes together to sort of drive that um, North Star, which is obviously a very broad mandate. And we can kind of go a little deeper, I guess. But I think to touch on some of the, the smaller points as a team, like there's a lot of focus on brand marketing, DAO enablement, user research and support, community governance activation, and much more. When we dive into specific KPIs, there's definitely individual ones that us as kind of like a team are, are always iterating on and thinking about ways that we could potentially look to publicize this information transparently to the community as we are aware that we are a foundation currently and there may be a time that we may be part of the DAO. And I think becoming, I think being early and demonstrating that we are documenting this transparent behavior and showcasing to the community that that we're all trying to drive growth of the protocol and the ecosystem in general. It's something that we're acutely aware of, but definitely confident in delivering. When I specifically think about the go-to-market and community teams that kind of form as, as one team, really, we have the go-to-market team in India, Japan, Turkey, and France at the moment, and also have a couple in kind of Canada and Brazil. So we're kind of pretty well distributed. And each of those have their own individual KPIs, whether that's making sure that we partner and then have conversations with potential validators or prospective partners in the ecosystem, whether that's driving X growth from like a branding and metric standpoint. These are all pretty well detailed. I won't go into too much, I guess, depth into individual ones as they're, they're pretty boring. But um, Josh, it might be worth you talking about that from a, from a governance standpoint. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Happy to jump in. I think similar to what James said, like very focused on ensuring down community enablement in anticipation of the launch of V4 again, totally permissionless, open source and fully decentralized. So community needs to have all of the tools available to efficiently govern the protocol. In terms of currently governance on V3, some of the, I think, metrics that we continually look at is voter participation. I think a lot of effort has gone into increasing voter participation from the from the governance team, specifically shout out to Clifton, who is on the governance team at the DYDX Foundation. He's done fantastic work in terms of delegate outreach, prioritizing kind of simple and clear tweet threads or summaries about like very complex topics on the forum, which in reality, like token holders, voters don't have a ton of time. So we see clear comms, efficient communication as a, as a huge unlock for people who maybe don't have time to read through 300 comments on, on Commonwealth and kind of form their own idea, or they can form their own idea, but very quickly. I think, so two things there. One is voter participation. I think across all votable tokens, we saw voter participation just over 5%, which is in line with peers, I think it can always be improved, but we're definitely doubling down on efforts to increase kind of the flow of information and to ping community members about when votes are happening and to educate themselves to form an opinion and then to eventually vote on snapshot or on on-chain votes. On the other side of that, to also kind of bolster decentralized governance, the DYDX Foundation launched a delegation program almost a year ago now. And to date, we've onboarded 25 endorsed delegates, which is essentially an elevated community member who provides a certain amount of disclosures and personal information on the community forums, as well as like a pitch about specifically the ways that they're going to vote, how they feel about the DYDX ecosystem and DeFi in general. And I think we saw great success from the launch of the delegation program, depending on how you cut the numbers. 
generally in a in a vote on the DYDX protocol, you're seeing from 30, just over 30% to 50%, over 50% of the votes are generally coming from endorsed delegates. So I think it's a very efficient manner to get idle DYDX tokens that wouldn't have otherwise been voted in the hands of very activated and elevated community members who are focused on the ecosystem, you know, not full time, but spend a lot of time kind of reviewing proposals and have a better idea about like strategic alignment of the DYDX ecosystem, what proposals are good for the community, what proposals could potentially be bad for the community. So I think it's it's really just trying to bolster this like marketplace of ideas where, you know, obviously the best ideas float to the surface and eventually get implemented through governance. Moving to, I think, the fully decentralized version of the protocol, it's a you know, very similar animal. Governance is going to, not to get too much into V4, because I think we're going to talk about that later, but governance will be quite similar to the Gov module in the Cosmos SDK, but very similar process in terms of like proposal goes live, voting happens, community decides to implement in, in some fashion or another. So I think a lot of work on our side, just making sure that the right habits and tools are in place for the community to be fully informed, to make educated decisions, to do their own research and to have the information at their fingertips so they can eventually engage with the DYDX protocol and grow the DYDX protocol come launch of mainnet v4. Amazing. You mentioned the delegation program. Uh, I would like to know more about that because we, we've seen, you know, increasing number of protocols putting in place these delegations programs. Each protocol has their way of selecting the delegators and, yeah. you know, implementing the way for them to help governance. What is the selection process for the delegators and, and how do they specifically operate? For sure, happy to jump in there. So the foundation actually doesn't gatekeep who's onboarded as an, as an endorsed delegate. And that's it was something purposeful that we did when we initially like launched the framework for the delegation program is that I think I, I used this like framing of words before, but like very big fan of like a marketplace for ideas and like very free market approach to delegation. And that if you onboard and you are an active contributor and you spend time on the forums, you have presence on Discord, you're contributing to discussions and you make good points that other people agree with, like tokens will naturally flow to you. I think sometimes we have calls with people who are interested in becoming endorsed delegates. And their first question is, you know, like, how do I get tokens delegated to me? And my usual response is just like, get active in governance in the ecosystem. Definitely not our role, I think, to delegate tokens to anybody or promise delegations to anybody. It's from my perspective, based on merit and like the value of your contributions to the ecosystem is how tokens are going to flow. That being said, the way that we approach structuring it is on the basis of a lot of peer delegation systems in the ecosystem. I think requirements are that you have, you know, the delegate post some some information about themselves, some information about how they're going to vote. We have this encapsulated on Commonwealth, which I'm happy to forward afterward in terms of like a profile and pitch. And then the delegates also agree to a code of conduct, which is certain factors that they agree to abide by while being an endorsed delegate on the DYDX protocol. Overall, I think yeah, we've had 25 endorsed delegates on board. I would say out of that 25, just over 50% are extremely active in the DYDX ecosystem. Okay. The other ones not so active. I would imagine they either off border at some point, like pick up participation. Again, we don't gatekeep though. So it's just a, it's a matter of whether the community, I think, wants to take control of the delegation program in the future. 
But yeah, that is a, I think, like a short, sweet overview of delegation on DYDX. Yeah, well, that's great because um, I think it matches the ethos of permissionless DeFi and uh, meritocratic participations in protocols. So yes, that's absolutely great. And now, you know, without transition, I think this is the moment everyone is waiting for. Let's talk about the V4 of the app that is coming up. When is it due? Because I know the timelines can be tricky in DeFi. And what will be the main changes we will see there? Yeah, I, I mean, I can initially touch on this. I think DYDX Trading is obviously the, the entity responsible for building version four of the protocol. And they've been posting out, I think, regular updates on their blog <laughs> and What's been great is Antonio, the CEO, as well as George, the COO, has been very active on podcasts over the last couple of months as they're getting closer to testnet, private testnet. And so starting to release more and more information that's coming out publicly. Additionally, I think last week, Lucas, who's part of the engineering team at DYDX, released a really in-depth technical blog post on Twitter, just as a Twitter thread which got a lot of retweets and interest from the kind of broader DeFi ecosystem and Cosmos in general. To just give you a, a timeline, I mean, I'll just be repeating what, what is public currently. So essentially, I think private testnet is the end of March. I think it's due to launch then. Public testnet is going to be the end of June. And then mainnet would be the end of September. Similarly, find it like super interesting. I think the foundation as well generally has similar amounts of information as what the broader ecosystem community has in terms of the stage of building. So, you know, similarly excited to the, the rest of the industry about when this is going to be released and the role that the foundation can kind of generally, generally play here with the DAO more broadly as well. Yeah, I think this whole FAT protocol application layer thesis is one that is extremely interesting and it's like a hot topic between ethereum versus the cosmos chains it's going to be interesting how it plays out and i think with this fat protocol thesis and the idea that general layer ones are similar this has been the kind of primary thesis i think since the last bull bull cycle and has been a right bet on kind of the infrastructure side of things and i think when we compare to i know this kind of word is thrown around but like web 2 right like amazon google facebook etc They've all kind of built applications and then the infrastructure layer beneath. And I think this is what DYDX is, is aiming to be, kind of this fully customizable, community-controlled protocol eventually, which will potentially also be a, a member of the DAO if decided upon. Again, to touch on what's public from the technical side of things, I mean, honestly, I'd be giving a butcher's job at it, to be honest, but I think... There is documented from Lucas, who's been posting on, on Twitter recently about having zero gas fees for placing order, orders, like latency and throughput of a centralized exchange and like a fully decentralized order book that offers, offers deep liquidity. And that's, I guess, just superficially talking about what's going on in the kind of works at DYDX trading that's been very public. So I think just like everyone, we're super excited about the release and yeah, really looking forward to continuing driving the ecosystem, governance and community more broadly to it. Josh, is there anything to add from, from your end there? I think that was a very in-depth and good overview. 
Great. And what are the actions that you guys will be taking, at, you know, once the V4 is here towards community? Because previously you mentioned, uh, you know, the the different teams you have for go to market in other countries. Can you tell me comparatively to U.S. users on the platform, you know, what is the international portions of these users and how are you going to address these differently, you know, going forward? I think. In terms of the number of users currently, obviously no the US user can use the exchange at present time, but we've seen a lot of international contributors, international users come into the space, who have, which has really been helped, I guess, by the addition of the foundation's country leads, kind of our level, um, and has grown users on the exchange in, in their respective countries. But how this will play a role in the DAO more broadly in the long run, I think is T TBC. I think it's going to be a potential token holder decision on like if there's going to be a growth sub DAO and maybe Josh can touch on this a little bit after who's a little bit more deep in the weeds than me here, but that will essentially be in the kind of hands of the community potentially. I think the advantages of this and V4 more broadly and having the community play a larger role here is they can put proposals together if, and, and this is obviously similar to, to now, but I guess more more prevalent on V4 is they can put proposals together, spin up a sub-DAO if that's you know entirely what they would want and focus on independent areas if that's what the collective decide is, is really, really needed from a DAO's perspective. I mean, it's kind of a, a working away around, around your question really, but I think it's just going to be an interesting time to see how the community can have more ownership and control of the protocol. We've kind of seen a slight change in, I guess, in our community behavior already. There's definitely a number of individuals who Josh shared who have been very active since the last kind of 12 months or so and have been recognized and have had delegated voting power towards them and have really taken on this sort of like autonomy and responsibility in the community to to think about like what's in the best interest of the exchange and, and the ecosystem more broadly. And I think I anticipate that will just continue to grow and grow and grow over time as we, yeah, we're just starting to see a lot more of that already. Josh, I don't know if you want to touch on, on kind of the potential spinnings up of sub DAOs and that type of thing. So currently there are, like I said, just a quick overview. There is the grant sub DAO, which was formed just over a year ago now. And then there was a proposal to create an operations sub DAO, which passed just at the end of 2022. What the operations sub DAO is setting out to do is to essentially establish a one communications platform for the DAO to enable sub DAOs to communicate with each other, similar to the functioning of like a regular company. Second is going to be to have a bank account for obviously like managing expenses on behalf of the DAO, paying for said, said communication platform, as well as any other kind of fiat related payment that a DAO is going to need to cover. And then last, the, I think, biggest lift and the thing that I'm most excited about is a essentially a sub-DAO playbook. So essentially, the 
entities that are forming the operation subdao i call them i almost call them trustees just because the subdao is in fact wrapped in a guarantee purpose trust to give it legal personality and to provide a bunch of efficiencies on the kind of taxation and organization side of things. But not to get too deep in the legal weeds, the DAO playbook is essentially going to be the DAO's version of a step-by-step guide of how a community member with a particular idea, whether it's growth, whether it's marketing, community treasury management, as well as finance, somebody can look at that and say, okay, so this is how, if I have an idea about how to contribute to the DYDX protocol, these are the steps that I need to take to get funding from the community treasury to in fact bring my idea to light, to establish my own working group and eventual subdow, or to get funded via a different route, whether that's through grants or through a separate entity. I think it's essentially going to be like a very nice decision tree to provide very clear instructions for contributors to follow. And really, I think the the decision comes down to the individual community member on the relationship they want to have with the DYDX protocol, the DYDX ecosystem. If they want to stay as a part-time fluid contributor and maybe be a potential ambassador in the future, or if they want to be a grantee and do more project-specific focus, I think those options are there. There's also going to be, in this DAO playbook, kind of an option for groups of people to come in with like larger, broader strategic ideas to form a working group. I think good examples of that are what's happened with the DYDX Academy, very much focused on user onboarding and education. There's also in the future, I think it's possible to envision multiple sub DAOs, each focusing on like core functional areas that are required for the DYDX protocol to grow. Are they set in stone? No. I think like if we look at like peer examples of established DAOs, there are definitely a few, I wouldn't say mandatory sub DAOs, but sub DAOs that definitely make sense mm-hmm. to ensure that the DAO can function and run efficiently. So I'm really excited for the DAO playbook. We're going to see, I think, more sub DAOs come to light and being formed after that is released, which I believe is targeted for March of this year. But the expectation, I think, from the the DYDX Foundation and broad, more broadly in the DYDX ecosystem is that, you know, the DAO needs to be in a position at the time that V4 launches to really take control of the DYDX protocol, which is this this DAO playbook is, is I think, step one into the DYDX ecosystem getting there. Great, great. Very important there to have a set of rules, you know, people can follow if they do want to contribute. And I think if you look at uh, MakerDAO, for example, they do have a Maker Growth team. And I think this type of initiative, sub-DAOs are important, same as having delegates that will participate and vote, having people who are in charge of regularly reviewing a DAO reviewing a foundation and seeing where improvements can be made. So yeah, very excited uh, for the future there for the DYDX Foundation. And before we move to personal questions, because I have some personal questions for you guys, just in terms of building the community there, and I'm asking James, but uh, feel free to, to, to jump in, Josh, what differences have you seen and what differences can you draw with, for example, Web2? Because um, I I don't know specifically your background, but I think there are challenges there that are very specific to the type of ecosystem we're in. 
Um, what what can you say about that? Yeah, I think to your point, I think there's often this obviously this discussion that goes on about kind of like one working in Web two and Web three and can people transition? I mean, I think that's like an absolute no brainer that people who have been successful in that world will be successful in the Web three world. I think you know there are parallels there from just a working standpoint. When it comes to a community standpoint, I think there's that narrative of like read, write, own, um, and then that Chris Dixon term of like own your data, right? And I think Web2, you look at Facebook, you look at YouTube, they're all trying to, I guess, monetize creator platforms. And and Web3 is this more creator economy where users own their own data. They can, you know, produce content. They can mint an NFT. They can be active on decentralized social they can really build something within that platform and essentially, you know, take majority of the monetary value from that. And definitely think that creators are benefiting more in this world for sure. And I think what I have found is, you know, big teams, and, and I don't think DYDX is a big team per se, but it's definitely like a big DEX in the grand scheme of things in a niche world. And what we have found is, you know, community members love to be a part of something that they feel maybe, you know, not big one day per se, but it's definitely growing and be part of that journey. Yeah, we, we've been really happy and supportive of bringing community members in, trying to like find out what are they professionally interested in? How are we going to help them personally develop and really getting them involved in projects, whether that is through grants or just being in part of the ecosystem um, and, and really trying to help them achieve what they want to achieve within the DYDX ecosystem. There are a lot of ways naturally that you can kind of semi gamify things. And I think they do enjoy the gamification side of things. Like we currently run quests, we run an academy, we distribute po-ops. We kind of typically do try and gamify community level participation, which I think has its kind of pros and cons. There are some that potentially just come in and just want to claim something and leave, but there's definitely that added benefit of sticking around and, and kind of being part of something like more meaningful in the long run. So I think, yeah, to answer your question broadly, there's definitely differences between, I guess, Web2 and Web3 community management. But I think the principles behind making sure that community is valued, listening to them, I think just to also provide another example there, which DYDX trading play a role in is we have a product council channel on our Discord and some of our top level contributors that, that we really value are very active there and, and DYDX trading may drop screenshots of version four of the protocol in testnet and they may ask for feedback from these kind of impactful and no talk like high notoriety community members on this stage of the product. And I think keeping them involved in that journey is definitely something that's important to them. And I think having these weekly and monthly AMAs, having these town halls, making them know who's behind the screen as well of this kind of DeFi protocol and DeFi ecosystem, I think it's definitely has uh, like great benefits to the stickiness of the community long-term. And you hear that all the time, right? And I think perp traders are notorious for like, you know, cutthroat, they'll, they'll leave if like, if like fees are too high and, and whatnot. But I think it's, it's just been really interesting to see actually the ones who were potentially saying that initially, you know, they're actually sticking around showcasing that they can provide value to the ecosystem 
and feel part of something, you know, bigger than just, I guess, being a trader, which is absolutely, you know, a fantastic thing to be. But I think being a part of the community more broadly is, is definitely provided benefits to them and us as well. It's interesting. You mentioned the fees and directly what popped to my mind is the competitive landscape right now of leverage dex trading. What is the differentiating factor you guys will be cultivating as a foundation to grow DYDX compared to other type of platforms that we've seen emerging in great numbers since the FTX debacle? Yeah, from an exchange standpoint, right? I think there are some fantastic other PERP exchanges out there. There's GMX, PERP Protocol, Synthetics, all of whom are, you know, successful in their own right. They've built up pretty degen community members who are very active and, and enjoy being part of their ecosystem, right? I think what we generally pride ourselves on is, as a foundation more broadly, I think trying to attract the, like, the best quality builders, create an environment where they can come in, whether that be as a grantee, a community member, a potential contractor to the DAO and spin up their own sub-DAO in the future. And just having that environment where we only want A players within the ecosystem. And whilst that sounds very kind of cutthroat and I guess exclusive per se, I think one thing that has really become evident over the last sort of 12, 24, 36 months as, as DAOs have matured is that you really do need, I guess, the best people involved with the DAO as well. It can't be this fluffy narrative of, look, you know, every community member may play a role in risk with DeFi. I mean, I think that's definitely not appropriate and you definitely need the best in the business to help be involved with those types of entities. Maybe if it's, you know, helping, and this is by no means belittling these types of roles, but if it's being active on Discord and it's being producing a lot of memes and it's producing sort of like community incentivization techniques, then I think they can be evolved there, absolutely. But when it comes down to like protocol safety and other aspects of the exchange, I guess it definitely requires this A-player mentality of we, we only really want top players in the ecosystem. I don't know if you want to touch on anything else there, Josh. Yeah, I think just the two quick things I would add is I think on on the product side, first is the nature of the exchange. The fact that it's an order book has extremely deep liquidity, which I think is extremely beneficial in terms of like marketing the exchange and like the growth of the exchange. The markets itself almost just DYDX has good depth very popular among kind of market makers, high frequency traders, just kind of given the comfort with the order model versus an AMM. The second and maybe even more important point is that if you listen to Antonio, the, the founder of DYDX Trading Speak, his top priority is user experience. The idea is that like build the best user experience and so users will come in addition to extremely competitive fees on DYDX, I think what you can look forward to is uh, an unparalleled user experience in, in DeFi. That's amazing. Yeah, I do agree. Top-notch security coupled with deep liquidity and user experience. Yeah, that's uh, that's amazing. Thank you, guys. And uh, um, before we wrap this up, I have a few questions for you. Uh, the first one relates to your relationship to social media, professionally and personally. You know, what uh, social media do you use? What's your use of it? And uh, yeah, I'm thinking of Twitter, of course. James, I think Josh. you're probably best here to tell. All right. <laughs> yeah, Mariam, thanks for asking this. I knew, 
I knew this one was coming. Probably too much. I think the relationship with Twitter, anyone in this ro- anyone in this kind of industry has probably an unhealthy relationship being on crypto Twitter. I, professionally, I think definitely want to spend more time engaging in the ecosystem, being more active with kind of the, with from like a professional standpoint of talking with other players in DeFi learning from them and just networking probably a little bit better from a personal standpoint. I I think social networks, I guess what I would want to play a bit more role in and spend more time on is, is these decentralized social networks now like being slightly more active on lens, slightly more active on Farcaster, all these, these new ones that are spinning up. I think, I think, what is it? So I don't think it's SoCal or another decentralized Twitter version, but I definitely want to be more active there. I think one healthy thing about those ones is, yes, they've got like an nth degree of the the kind of user base and the conversation's always really high, right? Like I spend time on Farcaster over the past two months. It's very much kind of like an early social network where it's only attracting the crypto crowd, engineers, the conversation is all very much kind of stimulated. And it's just a, it seems like a really healthy place to be right now. So yeah, that's probably where I spend a, a lot of my time right now. <laughs> Happy to jump in. I, I am probably the opposite. I actually try to like purposely like limit the amount of time that I spend on social. I have like deleted my Twitter a few times. I would say like, it, like James said though, it is impossible to kind of turn social off and to like completely unplug in this industry just because things happen so fast i do think it is extremely beneficial just from trying to figure out who is really great at different subject matter in different parts of the ecosystem i think like most recently have been trying to learn more about uh, mev so have been you know following closely along with like chorus one skip zero like shit trader i think like our grants program has done like a pretty good job of like introducing and flagging like some pretty key researchers in in the area so i would say i would like to limit my time on twitter uh <laughs> just to like focus and be productive but definitely find myself uh on there kind of daily we definitely need to be leveling up our twitter game to the block adopters twitter some of your <laughs> posts are phenomenal by the way how you you uh produce those like media type files with angle at the top we'll definitely have to take some lessons from you thank you well i hope our designer will be looking at this because it's all thanks to her she's top notch (laughs) (laughs) good um um, you know josh you were talking about reducing time on twitter but if you had to stick to one or two accounts which one would it be like who do you always follow on twitter it's totally different depending on like the day of the week and the information that I'm after. I think I'll go back to Coruscant and to Skip just because it's like who I was in depth following last week. I think I'm always following along also with like our peers, you know. But as soon as the Maker report came out, I think I knew about it within like 15 minutes, which is probably oh. pretty bad. It shows that I'm on Twitter too much. Uh, but follow like. <laughs> The Maker DAO, follow, you know, Abe, yeah, all the different protocols, I think, instead of like. And what about you, James? I mean, I, from a professional standpoint, honestly, I mean, I'm more, I guess there's this one follower who I um, who I do like his content, it's David Phelps. He produces a lot on sort of community and, and growth and, and DAOs gen- in general. 
from like a non-professional standpoint there's this kind of funny account i think it's called like the great british weather and i mean there's this obvious joke that the british weather is shocking but it just like there's a lot of people's posts in england as as english people do they moan all the time so it's just very much kind of like an english humor twitter channel so i'd check that out if i was anyone Nice, nice. Well, I'll check that one out. You know, it's a it's a good way to be on crypto uh, as sort of crypto Twitter as well. And one last question: What project? And you do not, you cannot say DYDX. What other projects are you excited to see in the space? And if you had to have someone come next uh, on the podcast, who would it be? Josh, trying to kick this one off. Yeah, Gabber, let me ponder. Go on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think projects I'm excited about infrastructure side of things like zk proofs i think are really interesting and are definitely going to have kind of a, a, a positive run in 2023 i even think about zk proofs in a governance realm i think that might be an interesting use case and something that really hasn't been i guess tested in the industry so far what circle are doing with their kind of cross-chain usdc support i think is definitely going to be a big impact in the cosmos ecosystem so it's definitely exciting especially as dydx are building there i think Last couple of things from me, rise of DAO tooling. Obviously, right now, there's just been a flurry of tools that are being built in 2022. Obviously, it's early 2023. And hopefully this year, we'll see something that definitely helps kind of level up DAOs in a more streamlined manner. And then like what I've just really talked about is decentralized social media. I mean, just having different platforms that users could go on, maybe pseudonymously, like sign up with their Ethereum address, and sort of play a role in building out their on-chain reputation through social will be super interesting. And I think Farcaster is probably one of the things I'm really interested in and try to be more active as of recent. And then lastly, sorry, I won't take up too much time, is no uh, in terms of, of guests I'd have on. I think because we touched on the grants program and, and we talked about that in depth, and I think it's definitely an interesting discussion I think the Reverie team, which uh, Derek and Carl and a few others, they're a super interesting crowd to, to have a chat with their experience with, I guess, building out grants programs, as I think grants programs probably over the next few years are going to be like, really big in, in kind of decentralized protocols. So, yeah, they'd be my choices. Nice. Josh, over to you. Yeah, for sure. I've been spending a lot of time as of recently kind of looking at the Cosmos ecosystem. So I think a lot of my recommendations and time spent is going to be geared towards there. But I think looking at osmosis from the perspective of this year amount of governance proposals and community engagement is they had like over 200 proposals last year. Crazy, but also like efficient. Kudos to them. I think doing a great job over there. I think Juno is also like super interesting ecosystem to look at. Uh, on the DAO tooling side, I think DAO DAO, I've recently started taking a closer look at just because they do have a lot of useful information available and are like very contributor builder focused, which is great. Uh, particularly one of the most interesting ones and maybe like an interesting talking point is I had a conversation with a co-op called Haifa based out of Canada. They do a lot of work in the Cosmos ecosystem and are kind of contributors to Cosmos Hub. They have like very interesting ideas. They're organized in very much like a co-op format. So I I think they would be, yeah, very cool guests. Amazing. Well, thank you guys. A lot of recommendations there. We'll get in touch with these people. And thank you so much, James and Josh, for being on the podcast. Very glad to have you here and looking forward to see, you know, all the next steps for the foundations you talked to us about. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. 
Thanks, Barry. And thank you for your time. Thanks so much. Appreciate you having us. Take care.